Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whittingham with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists where we talk about the things going on in our profession, things going on in our clients, the trends in our field, and these kinds of things. And we are joined once again by our great friend, Adriana Rodriguez, LMFT. And we're here to talk about what's up with so many therapists just being like, I don't want to work with couples or families and totally just working individually with people. And we have all kinds of thoughts on this stuff, but <laughs> thank you for <laughs> joining us. And we'll, before we get to the complaining parts of the episode, thank you for being here again. Thank you for having me. I'm always excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question we ask everyone and, and, we will link to Adriana's first episode in our show notes, but to to catch everyone up that didn't hear that one, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Yeah, you know, I always prepare for this question and then it's like, what, whatever's going to come out, is going to come out. So I'm Adriana <laughs> Rodriguez. My pronouns are she, her, hers, ella. And I'm a licensed merchant family therapist. And what am I putting out into the world? Right now, I feel like the season is a little bit different than the last time I was in the podcast. And so... The umbrella of everything that I do is still the same, which I would say is intersectional mental health, intersectional wellness, so all the axes of intersectional power, privilege, and systems. But this time around, uh, last time I talked about supervision and some of the issues that I face, both supervising, but also myself as a supervisee. Now on this end, uh, now that I moved into private practice, I kind of have been focusing on working with couples and adult families. And so the systems work has become really in, in front of me. And so inevitably, I've been focusing on relationship, relationship education is kind of what I'm calling it. So not only the, ther the therapy that we do with people in relationships, whether romantic relationships or family relationships, but more like the education of where do we learn to be in a relationship? And so that's what I'm how I'm showing up on social media. And a lot of the, the work that I'm doing is like, where are people learning to be in relationship with one another? And the bigger umbrella is that intersectional lens to look at our relationships. So normally we ask a question what people get wrong, but I'm going to save that one for a little bit later in the episode because I want to get to the core of a question. I saw you post this on social media, but why are therapists just so focused on individual work? What kinds of why are why are people avoiding getting into some of this relational stuff? And I've seen this across licenses. Even LMFTs, the, the people who are supposed to be doing marriage and family work, what's up with them just focusing on individuals? 
Yeah, so I decided to post that question. So I teach at the University of San Francisco. I'm an adjunct professor there. And the class that is my favorite one to teach is family systems. How are families interconnected? How do families work with one another? What are the different structures of family? How do we define family in this Western world versus in the global majority, right? Like the definition of family and how the system gets impacted by all the things around it, right? And so once I was, I've been really excited reading and sharing with a couple of therapist friends and everybody kind of has this aversion to working with more than one person at a time. And I thought it was sort of like a situational thing. I was just like, are, like, what's happening with my core group of people? Like, why are they reluctant to work with uh, groups, right? And, and families. And so I went onto Facebook and I said like, hey, anecdotal research, because I would like to talk to my students about what are some of the things that potentially may show up for them, right? And so Things that people um, mention is I have a hard time with overstimulation. And so the idea of having two people in front of me might overstimulate me. Conflict. I personally don't like dealing with conflict. And so I find it really hard when people come with conflict and I have to manage and facilitate and sort of mediate between the two of them. And the most common one that came up is the lack of training, poor training, even for the MFTs, right? Everybody that sort of was commenting, and I've probably like a small sample group of like 50 people, right, that were actually really excited to share with me what their own challenges were. Across the board, as people kept commenting, it came across like, yeah, maybe if I had more training, maybe if this would have been a focus more in my classes, I would feel more comfortable. But as it is, I already know that personally, I don't have this like desire to get into conflict, to get into managing of people, and because I don't have the training, that's not something that I'm prioritizing at this moment. So I think from my anecdotal research is that people realize that there is this need, but they per, there's this personal sort of intersection of personal reasons, but also poor training that the most of us have received around system work. And that's being reflected, I think, on the lack of providers that are doing couples work and that are doing adult family work, which is sort of like the secondary bucket that I, I'm really advocating that we need to be doing adult family work. When we think about family work, mostly we think about little kids and their families coming to therapy. I've had some amazing experience recently with adult parents, with adult children sort of coming in and addressing the system. And it, to me, has been magical. And, you know, we talk about vicarious trauma. I would say that it's been vicarious healing to be able to see these families working through some of these layers of themselves. And so that is sort of like the space that I've been in and wondering why are not more people interested in doing this work? Because I find it really exciting and I really love it. You think that there's some systemic issues on this? I, I know, at least here in California, it seems like uh, even a lot of the MFT master's programs are kind of like clinical psych programs with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy, where it's almost like, here's a training to become a junior psychologist, where there's even just kind of a lack of just family systems people, even in the education positions. I think so. I think that uh, there is a, a focus that even in the MFT programs that I teach in, where we are overemphasizing a lot of the diagnosing, a lot of the the things that I know on this end are very much for insurance, right? Insurance compliance. And so this is kind of those moments where systemically, I think that many people, even the ones of us that are not accepting insurance, sort of are replicating that through our training, we learn to think about individuals as one unit, right? We did take the, cup, the couples class and we took the family class, 
But what I'm seeing is this lack of integration that throughout the different stages of what you're learning, scaffolding, right? Scaffolding this idea that people still exist within a system, whether they come with those people into therapy or not, even as individuals. When I work with folks individually, there is a focus on the system that they come from because especially for the populations that I'm working with, BIPOC folks, queer folks, women, right? Anyone who is minoritized, but also part of the global majority, right? Like there is this way that we cannot ignore the systems around us are impacting us. And so that includes our family system at a like macro level and then the systems just of the world at more meso level, right? And so there is this emphasis in our training and education that is focusing on individuals in a silo. And I think that's very aligned with just sort of how the, the United States and the individualistic culture of the United States works. And so it's like the system replicating itself within our therapy system. Yeah, that's what I was hearing a lot of when you were talking. I kept thinking, oh, yeah, this is rugged individualism. This is this is people being completely responsible for you know, everything, not not really looking at systems necessarily and identifying the problem within the individual and the solution within the individual. And I feel like that is limited. I mean, I love doing individual work, don't get me wrong, but I, I have a strong respect for the systems and the circumstances folks find themselves in. And and to me, it does seem very limiting if people will not or or refuse to do adult family work or couples work when mm-hmm. even within the work that they're doing with a quote unquote identified patient. Mm-hmm. How do you set up the structure for figuring out the best unit of, of treatment for folks that come in to see you? So on Instagram, there is this meme that has come on, across, and so maybe the two of you have seen it, but it says, I go to therapy for the people in my life that don't go to therapy. And <laughs> yes, I feel I've like that, that <laughs> meme always comes up in my individual work. And then also when I'm doing the either couples work, polycule work, or adult family work, right? When I'm doing group work, here we have the people that we are yeah. supposed to be going to therapy individually, right? And so for me, it's like there is this from the get-go naming that you belong to people, you belong to systems, you belong to society, whether you're involved in it or not. And so from the get-go in the structure is uh, we are going to be thinking about the the root causes, the origin, but not only like a, a who do we blame, but rather who do we hold and who do we share responsibility and accountability for where we find ourselves with people, right? For a lot of the BIPOC folks in the communities that I'm working with, one of the things that very commonly we're talking about is imposter syndrome. And I mean, like, I can work with you individually on imposter syndrome, but if I'm not talking about how you being a person of color, how you being queer, how you being a woman, how you, whatever intersection, and I'm not ac- holding those parts accountable, then how are we going to address your impost- imposter syndrome? Because then it would elude that there is a problem that you have the power to handle or the change or to do something about. And then it it leaves, I think, a little bit of gaslighting of I'm doing all the work, I'm putting all of this effort, but the system is not changing. And unless people know that the system is not going to change, or it's going to change very slowly, and still you got to do this work, right? We're like, I feel like we're having a gap. And so when I'm doing that individual work, that's present all the time talking about Where did you learn this from? Where does it come from? Where did you see it replicated, whether in your family or outside with your coworkers, with your friends? And then when I'm doing relationship work, intimate relationship work or adult family work, it is about sharing the the knowledge also even of intergenerational passing down of both traumas and gifts, right? The resilience, the strengths that families get passed along, the ways that the system prepares us to deal with the system, right? Like how do you participate in capitalism in a way that 
still honors and respects your rest, your needs, right? But recognizing that your tiredness, your burned out, it's not self-created, but it's, it's also being contained by larger things, right? And so at all times when I'm doing work, the system's thinking is always present. And that's just kind of how I'm holding the space in, in the therapy room nowadays. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. How would you encourage other therapists to get here, to, to get to this kind of an approach? Because in inherent, you're starting to uncover that question that I said that we were going to save for later, which is like what people do wrong and not, not shaming anybody, but like, you know, don't, <laughs> don't get to this great thing that you're describing. So this is kind of that two in one, like, what do you see people doing wrong? So that way they can stop making those mistakes. But also how do you get more people to start thinking in this more global way, as far as that system's interaction with the clients that they're working with. How did we get here? I think this is kind of part of the introduction that I said, right? Like the the bucket that holds all the work, because the other day I was, somebody was asking me, oh, you're a therapist, you're a speaker, you're a workshop facilitator, you're a relationship. There's this list of things that I do, right? That is just like, it's just too many. But it, it kind of made me think, take a step back of, but how do I do the many things that I do, right? And is this intersectionality, this acknowledgement that there is power and privilege at all times, at all, in all layers, in all levels, right? And so for me, when I've had other focuses like supervision or I've had even my own therapy as a, as a just a person, right? It has been inevitable to talk about me personally existing within the systems. And so I would say that the first step for me has been to recognize that the system impacts me and that inevitably my work is impacted by the systems that I exist in as a person, right? When we internalize individualism as the way of being and we forget that there is others around us or we're not paying attention to it, I think that it becomes harder to be present in the room with our clients. And especially, I think, people who are not obviously marginalized or that perhaps don't feel that they belong to the categories of group that are being oppressed or that are being impacted, they may not feel that this is a topic for them or that is something that is necessary for them to examine first with themselves, right? And then, so if I'm not examining that, I'm not acknowledging that, then how am I gonna have that present for my clients? And so I think my process has been kind of this learning and unlearning 
after grad school. I know how I got trained in grad school. I know the trainings and the certifications and all the things that I've done. But throughout the years, the question felt like, why don't I feel that I'm doing this work in a way that feels good enough? Like, why doesn't this theory match the clients that I'm seeing in a way that is that feels obvious or easy to just follow the step-by-step. And the answer to that question always came back to the training, the trainer, the people that you're in community with talking about these things are not thinking intersectionally about how does this apply, but also how does this not apply depending on the circumstances. And so I think that a big gap in our field is this idea that, you know, and maybe it's not even an idea. It's just like the the way that we've internalized our privilege to think that this system issues are not our issues and therefore not, you know, influencing or, or impacting our clients. I like that idea that we we need to understand ourselves to be able to do it. But I also like the idea that we're missing a big part when we're not working intersectionally or we're missing a big part when we're not paying attention to the systems and that there's an element of this when we're just working with the individual in front of us that we're missing a lot. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about like what is actually being missed. So one of the things that became really obvious to me, I used to be a school-based clinician, right? And so I work with elementary middle schoolers. And so adults would come all the time and bring me, Mrs. Rodriguez, can you please work with this kid? They're having behavioral issues. They're having this and that, right? And like the realization that was the most powerful to me is like, I can't make any movement on this kid. I can't work magic unless the system is also being addressed, understood. And if the system is not moving, there is no magic wand that as a as a child therapist, I can wave to fix this kid, right? But a lot of the adults in, in that bring kids to therapy are, are beginning with that lens of the individual, right? Like fix the kid, do this for the kiddos. And, and they're themselves not accounting themselves into the equation of what might be going on, what we're seeing, right? And they're not thinking about it. So when I was in the school, in the schools working with kids, I became really uh, like a fierce advocate that family work was necessary. My, my associates, my interns that I supervised, they were all required to make sure that they were involving the families actively, that they were having family sessions, whether consistently or occasionally, right? Because there was a part of how do we close the gap between what a kid might be learning and might be responding really well in therapy, but if the family is unaware, is unengaged, is, I was going to say uninterested, but I don't even know that it's uninterested if they don't even know what they're missing out. And so it falls the responsibility of uh, for us as the clinicians, as the therapists, to let the family know that we need them. And that's kind of what for me began, right? That when I was working with kids by themselves, one big part that was missing was the family. So then when I moved from being a school-based clinician and went into working with adults, that meant that mindset of when I'm only talking to you about your problem as an individual problem and we're not taking into consideration these other things, we're missing a big part. And I began doing couples work sort of by happenstance when I started inviting my individual clients to bring people as a collateral, right? Like that's what we would call it yeah. when we're coding it collateral meeting to help them bridge some of the things that they were learning in therapy that were relational in nature and that they maybe were struggling in how to be able to bridge that in their life, right? And so we would talk about, well, why don't you bring them in? And it would be my job to hold the environment to know this is not couples therapy, this is not family therapy, this is therapy in support of your goals, in support of the direction that you're going. But immediately, 
it dawned on me, like, why am I not actually officially offering this? And like the people that want to do this work and that feel uh, compelled, ready, available to do this work to just come in. And that's how I even, you know, the most obvious one, I think, is couples therapy that more people do. But there is like a huge gap in adult families needing to manage and deal with their adult family issues. And there are not a lot of therapists doing that work available to do that work. And so because of the work that I did with kids and the inevitability of involving everybody else or somehow they existing even when they weren't present, I have not been able to remove that type of mentality. And I don't want to. I think it's, it's really what makes my work personally really special is that other people get to come to the couch, even if they're not there physically. They're here with us and we're including them and understanding them. And when they get to come in, I find it so rewarding when I see people being able to like create those bridges with each other and then be able to be in relationship in healthier ways with one another. I find nothing more rewarding than that because even in individual therapy, sometimes that is frustrating that your client is doing all this work, but their family, their system, their work is not changing and it leaves people frustrated, defeated, at times disappointed, right? And so from the work with kids, I think is the translation into this next step for me in working with adults that we all have been somebody's children. And so we still remain their children, even if we're in contact with them, even if we're in a healthy relationship with them, right? So it, for me, it has been inevitable to extend in that way in my private practice. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. How did you try to do this in your teaching? I'm thinking back to a lot of the family systems classes that I have. And it's like, all right, here, here's a theory developed by some people back in the sixties and seventies and go and do this and then <laughs> go, go and get licensed and have some experience and then do things that Adriana is talking about. So <laughs> assuming that you're trying to help the next generation of therapists, how do you weave this in with educational objectives that are stuck in a different millennium? Oh, man, I'm dealing with a very sticky situation with that right now. I'm thinking about some of my frustrations that I'm facing in the academic environment around seeing the way that I think the educational system and the, the professors were getting wrong is that we're compartmentalizing couples work, relationship work, family work to specific classes versus being able to overarch that people belong to people, are around people interact with people in all different aspects of their life and that we're we're missing something right and so for me in my class my my class is family system so it's the famous genogram and where i start is that i am vulnerable about my genogram i talk about what are the family dynamics what are the secrets what are the things that people are not talking about and over the years, even when I wrote my own genogram back when I was in grad school, like that piece of information has been so valuable, but it has morphed over the years about the value that I find in it. So in my class, I begin with 
really role modeling the necessity of understanding who we are and where we're coming from in order to then learn the theories and then learn the, so it's like the theories and the modalities and the interventions are secondary to understanding how you are going to get in the way purposely or unintentionally. It doesn't matter. Like if you're not aware of certain things, right? To the best degree that you can, we can't be aware of everything. But then my genogram project is really intentional. In my class, also something that I am trying to do is how do, or I've asked myself, is how do I prepare the students to be 21st century clinicians, right? I got trained in the 20th century and I can feel the differences of what the 20th century needed versus the 21st century needed, right? And so what is the areas, how to supervise, how to public speak, how to create social media content, how to uh, network, (laughs) how to have tough conversations with clients, right? And so there are different parts of my class where not only are you reflecting in, in yourself, but also as I like go back to like the outside world and notice how the things that you're learning here are happening around those uh, with those around you, uh, whether you work with them, whether you live with them, whether you're romantic relationship with them. So I focus a lot on the self-reflection in part. And kind of the next step, I would say, is the culturally and gender responsive practice beyond just the concept of intersectionality. I'm at the place where if somebody shows me the wheel of power and privilege one more time, I'm going to walk out of that training. It's not enough. (laughs) Because at this point, we have been talking about power and privilege and intersectionality plenty. But now we need to go into the next layer, I think, as therapists, is how do we respond to the differences and the similarities that exist between people and their systems, but also between us and our clients, right? And so I think we need to go into the next level, but it, it can only be done, and maybe I'll, I'll get some heat for this, but I believe that it can only be done as the depth that you have understood how the systems impact you. And so I try to role model that for my students, that is the, the vulnerability of sharing that but also the real life application of how this would show up clinically, right? Like it's not about the, just the sobby story or tell me how, what your traumas are. How would you then deal with a situation in your clinical practice that is this multi-layer? So for my genogram project, one part is a genogram. The second part is an eco map, which is mapping all the systems that the family has around them. And a third part of the project is a timeline of any sociopolitical issues that are relevant in terms of your family timeline. So, for example, for me, when I was seven years old, my family left El Salvador, my parents left, and they left not because they wanted to. There was a whole civil war. I was born in the middle of a war. When I was five years old, I remember sleeping on the floor because there were bombs being dropped in my neighborhood. And so... If I, when I got to grad school, this actually happened to me. We started going into looking at your family. And I remember being mad at my parents that they had failed me, that they were not good enough. And what I wish my professors would have done then would have said, but stop, what was going on around your family in those moments when you felt failed, when they didn't show up at their best? What was, what else was going on around? Because that's the work that I've done post-grad school, which is to, situate my family within the context that this experiences that happened to me individually were were, um, rooted from. And that has allowed me to find a sense of self-compassion for them, for me, and for our history, and then also address the parts that are me problems, that are we problems, but that are society problems and sort of bucket them appropriately where they go. 
And that is the skill that I'm trying to teach my students, right? It's just that when you're looking at the person, there are going to be things that are individual, but then there are going to be things that are relational. And then there are going to be things that are just bigger and larger that you just kind of, this is where you were born in the timeline of the planet, of the world. And these are the ways that those things are affecting at a micro level. The thing that kind of stuck out for me when, when you were talking right there was this element of challenging old stories that are very separating or, or blaming. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my parents failed me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the zeitgeist, I guess, or, or social media things are talking about how we have to cut off our families or th- there's people that are toxic, all that kind of stuff. And it, it feels like yeah, there are definitely people that cannot have contact with their families. There's there's some pretty gnarly stuff that's happened and mm-hmm. I get that. But but what you're describing is is potentially fairly confronting and I'm assuming at points you take that further and invite these folks in to a mm-hmm. session, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you navigate kind of that that work because it seems like it could be hugely healing, but it could also, it's also, I think, part of why some therapists might feel like this is dangerous is that, well, my client feels like their parents failed them. I'm going to support their story and we're going to stay in individual work versus the type of work that you're talking about. You know, for me, how it has shown up is that we hit a limit. You know, recently I was having a session where, where one of my, my longer term clients, they came and they're like, I need you to keep it real with me and tell me what I'm not doing. And I said, well, what well, gives you the impression that I'm not keeping it real, right? And then <laughs> uh, this comes the accusation that I am too nice and I love them too much to actually be real. And I think this is such oh a funny goodness. thing that has yep. come up. That it says, like, how am I being nice, right? When I'm holding you accountable. And so we have we do the whole part of, like, are you just used to learning through, like, the finger wagging and getting in trouble? And you're expecting me to be, like, the bad parent, right? And, like, get you in trouble. So part of the the inviting the family work is also inviting people to understand why do they feel this idea of fault, this idea of guilt, this idea of blame, right? And how they have internalized these things from their family system. So that's, that's accountability. Then I invite compassion in that many of these things are not on purpose. They didn't, have, even if they're really crappy, really shitty, actually. They're sometimes nobody's fault. There are responsibilities that come once you have awareness. But if I am expecting my parents to have the type of awareness that me, a therapist who's trained in systems thinking and um, who has done all this therapy work on myself, if I'm expecting my family to show up at that level, I'm going to be really disappointed. Right. And so I help people level up their understanding of their family systems before inviting people in, in a way that leverages compassion, not to remove accountability, but to sort of ask for accountability in a way that is going to be able to match the timing, the match where the people are. So I would invite a family first session, second session, and just like, let's confront them because it's not about confronting. (laughs) If anything, in my experience, when I've invited the families of individual clients is that they also welcome the compassion to not be the bad guy in the story, but to also say, I also had bad people, like bad guys in my own story. And I can see how what I learned, I pass it down and it has harmed you. And so this, um, this compassion is not pass for accountability and for responsibility, and then for action that is aligned with what you have discovered in your work. 
But some of us are not used to thinking compassionately about our issues, like self-compassion, right? But also with compassion about the world that we live in and how it has impacted others and that that has led to harm. Now, does that mean that you have to accept this type of behavior, that you don't put boundaries, that you don't take distance if needed? The what, the action, uh, post having these realizations with compassion, that's where you come into your power, right? Your ownership. That's more like the individual work. What do you want to do? Me working with majority Latinx, immigrants, first gen people, if I ever told my clients, you got to cut your family off, I would be fired. Like that is just not <laughs> something that you do, you know? Yeah. We have the concepts of familismo and, and uh, Latino culture, right? We have uh, Marianismo, we have machismo. And so family comes first. And this is, I think, a big part of how the global majority works and why the global majority is having a hard time with white therapists. That white therapists are not thinking about, for the, the majority of us in the globe, we are inevitably connected and remain connected to people. My, my own therapist said something really interesting that just popped into my mind, which was because I, I, at some point I, I, I was struggling with some family things. And I said, I don't have a family. Da, da, da. Like, I was so mad at them, right? And then she said something like, well, you know, unfortunately, you're still connected with them, whether you're actively in a relationship with them or not. So it's more like a light switch that your relationship with your family is either on or off and you get to the side. And so I like to empower or I want to empower my individual clients to sort of understand why they're turning the line on and off, but only after they understand the system and they can compassionately understand the issues within the system. And then when I'm doing couples work, relationship work, or family work, is about sharing the compassion with everybody of how did we get here? And then how do we actionably enter into different ways to being in relationship with one another? So when you're working with new clients, or you're starting to talk about how you work with people, and you're met with those families that are like, but I want you to fix my kid. I mean, this seems, this is ultimately a question of like, how do you sell this to clients that are still very much in that individualism sort of, but I don't want that. So I'm not the right therapist for you. That would be like my, that would be my, my simple, my simple question, my simple answer, because, you know, from the get go, even at my consultation, as you're talking, you know, from that perspective at the consultation, I make sure that I'm talking about that I am system strain and that we're going to look not only at your family system or your individual issues, but also the societal systems, right? My social media, my, so I have set up like my practice and sort of my person as a therapist that, you know, if you're coming to me, you're going to be talking about these things. And, you know, in fact, some of my best conversations about the patriarchy that I've had in couples work has been with straight cis men. Because they have never had to confront how the patriarchy is showing up in their marriage and how is it impacting them as individuals, but also their families, their children, right? And so I don't know that, I guess I'll just say that the best formula for me to find the people that want to do this work or that I at least want to be thinking about this work has been for me to embody that everything that I do is always questioning, challenging, or having compassion towards the system and how the system has impacted. So I'm not running into much of that issue nowadays. I am not taking people necessarily, for example, that are coming in in the, in the consultation, they will be fighting, uh, you know, like the management of the, the conflict, I think for me is one of the more like the weaving in and out. Can they actually 
conflict be managed enough to be able to get deeply into what's happening. And maybe like that's one of the things that we're doing wrong is that the training is about skill development or like understanding, but this kind of in the present. And I think that much of the relationship issues that I see, they're not necessarily present issues, but they're past history, systemic issues that are just showing up and that we're not even aware that they're existing. And so therefore we don't know how to address them. I know we're running a little bit short on time, but I have another more practical question too. And so I want to throw this in before we finish up. I think, you know, kind of speaking to, to Kurt's question of like, how do you convince parents that want, you know, just fix my kid? I think there's a lot of stuff and, and maybe we have a, a kids their kids family episode to to go deeper into that because there's a lot of, well, and this is, you have them this amount of the time and I need you to be my ally and we're going to fix your kid together and da 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 da, right? Like we can, we can sit there. But I, I think about engaging adult families that are, are potentially not necessarily thinking that's where we start, right? Like their adult child comes in, invites their family into session. Like, how do you explain what's going to happen there? How do you, and not saying they're coming in saying, now just fix my kid, but like coming into a space, not knowing what to expect. How do you talk about what adult family therapy looks like? I think I'm, I'm thinking about uh, one of my cases where I had uh, a, a younger adult experiencing very severe depression and how they were going back home and after therapy and their family really just saw them like crying and sad and sappy. And so the family started avoiding them because they were too sad. And so this kind of kept coming up in our individual sessions. And at some point I was like, I wonder how your parents understand your depression. Like, are they aware that you're depressed? Like, do you think that they understand what does it mean to be experiencing severe depression, right? And like, what does that look like? And so when we started thinking about what it would be like to invite the family, when the family came, I began by, you know, thanking them for coming in, for taking the risk of potentially having to hear some difficult things. But that ultimately for me was that great appreciation that they had taking like a like a courageous step to face this like the monster of depression that was living in their house but that everybody was kind of dancing around and so i removed in that particular scenario the the pressure that this is about them or that i'm going to blame them or that this but it's rather how do we collaborate how are we team members with couples a lot of the times i'm like okay you're going at it like your opponents not like your teammates right and so this idea of like we're all in the team it's something that exists in my language and a lot of the analogies when I'm doing the family work uh, or the couples work, it always comes back to this idea of like, are we teaming up to address the issue or are we going in opponents in different directions? Because that's how you got here and that hasn't worked out. So what about we try it differently? So this people respond really well to the compassion of this is this is old. This is not something you meant to do. This is not something that anybody intended to like ruin their kid or And so like the compassion for them that I'm not coming into like finger wag at them and tell them in, but rather invite them is I really think the sweet spot for people to be more bought in. They're afraid of us therapists because of the trope of like mommy issues and daddy issues, right? I think a lot of adult families are just afraid that they're going to come in into a blame fest. And who would want to sign up for that? I mean, like I wouldn't want to go for that. (laughs) So it's like the teamwork, right? The teamwork approach and how do we address the thing that's happening in between all of us that we're not talking about? And most of the times people don't know how. It's not that they don't want to. 
a lot of these the people that have come to me is like they don't even know how to have these conversations and they find like relief and gratitude and having a facilitated space to you know for everyone to be heard where can people find out more about you and all the wonderful things that you're doing Yes. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Adriana Rodriguez Wellness. That's like my relationship education sort of like channel where I'm putting in those kind of basics of like, if you want to have a conversation about boundaries, here's a couple of like conversation starters, right? Like some like this very basic things that I think would be useful for anybody or that would normalize maybe some of the issues that they're having. Because if I hear something in in therapy that is like, I'm saying it a lot. I'm like, oh, like that would be worth sharing with people, right? So that's what I do on Instagram. And then my website is adrianarodriguestherapy.com. And that's where you can find me for therapy related stuff. And we'll include links to that in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. You can follow us on our social media, join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group to keep this conversation going. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Adriana Rodriguez. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 